We are uh, in the middle of a series called Dream Again. I love the participation of this particular series. I, I'm going to have you guys say a lot with me. So say the words Dream Again. Dream again. Say it one more time. Dream Again. We're in the middle of this series, and last week, I can't really do a good job of recapping last week. I hate, if you weren't here, I hate you weren't here. Please go back and watch it, go back and listen to it. But I'll give you two or three of the main things we talked about last week as we build uh, into this week. The first and foremost is the premise that we are all born dreamers. Right? We're all born dreamers. And the reality is, is that whether you recognize that as a child or not, something does happen between kind of adolescence and adulthood where we cease to dream. Why? Because we are convinced later in life that dreams are something that's really just, it dreams really equal something that's impossible or improbable. And that's what dreams are. And so we don't waste time with dreams. We do goals. We, we set, you know, goals for ourselves, stuff that we can put a little elbow grease in and just a little bit more grit and hustle and accomplish. But very few of us in our adult lives actually dream, big dreams. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, I just want you to know that there was something that happened to you spiritually when you became a Christian, that you were reborn or you were born again a dreamer. Because part of our faith, part of our faith is being able to not just focus on what is now, but to be able to focus on what we can't see and to be open to all the possibilities that God would have for us. We did the series before called How to Get More, and we really do believe that there's so much more for us to experience. And part of that is us being willing to dream again. Say that again. Dream again. All right. Now, believe it or not, this is something that was uh, identified as part of the church. And I'll share with you a quick verse. This is, um, this is Peter uh, right after the resurrection and the ascension. And uh, Peter, through Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. People are speaking in languages they've never spoke before. Or they're hearing the gospel in their own language. And, and the, the, the Holy Spirit's doing amazing work. And people are responding to Christ, but they're also responding with confusion a little bit as to what's going on. And Peter uh, brings out some words, a prophecy, if you will. He brings out a prophecy from a prophet called Joel that was written 850 years before this moment that they're having at the very launch of the beginning of the church. And here in Acts chapter 2, I'll just read this for you. This is what he pulls out from Joel, the very beginning. He says, in the last days, the days of the Lord is the way Joel has described it. He says, I will pour my spirit out upon all people. It's not just going to be high priests anymore. It's not just going to be leaders and Sadducees and, 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 and Pharisees. It's not going to be just them. I'm going to pour my spirit out on all people. And the way that we know that's going to happen is that your sons and daughters will prophesy. And the young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. This was supposed to be something that was going to mark the church. And it was not only, it was Joel's words 850 years before Peter spoke them. And Peter spoke them as a, as a way of explaining what just happened and what's going to happen in the days of the Lord and the days of the church as we continue to see this mark the church. And it started then and it's continuing now. Now these are not words that we often use. And so I kind of help break this out that uh, to prophesy Okay, a little bit different than the, than the gift of prophecy, and we, we can go back to that. I taught that at the beginning of the year, and we can talk more about that individually. But to prophesy is ultimately to see and speak truth. We've been given spiritual eyes and a spiritual understanding of truth. And we can see what maybe others can't see because our eyes have been opened and we have the mind of Christ. So we can see that and we're able, by the, by the fact that we have the Word of God, we're able to speak truth, speak absolute truth into people's lives and over people's lives. Visions are really what I kind of align with, purpose and direction. That to have a vision, if you've probably heard this old verse in the Old Testament that says, you know, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
You may have heard that from the King James, where there is no vision, when people can't see what God's doing, they wander aimlessly. That's another way of, uh, of stating that. I think that's the NIV. And there's a part of this that's really important for purpose and, and direction because that's supposed, something, again, that's supposed to mark a believer, that we live our lives with a purpose and direction that comes from God because we can see the truth. And then the last is dreams, which I equate to hope and faith. That again, we're not focused on just the now. We're not focused on what might be impossible or improbable because we are open to the fact that with God, all things are possible. And so we are willing to dream. We're willing to have that kind of hope, you know, that assurance of what we hope for and that confidence of what we yet to see. And this is supposed to mark the church. And last week I talked about you individually, how do you, how do you engage in, the, you start to dream again, how do you engage in God-sized dreams for your life, personally? And I gave you these, these three characteristics, that they're going to be faith-filled, right? They're going to be faith-filled, meaning they're, they're going to be so big that, quite honestly, it's not an issue of a goal with a little bit of grit and hustle and, and all that that you can accomplish it. Faith-filled means that it's going to be bigger than you, and it's going to be something that if God doesn't step in and do a work, that it probably isn't going to happen, it's not wrong for you to have a bucket list. You can, you can want to go to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower. It's not wrong to have some of those things to enjoy. We're talking about God-sized dreams for your life. They're going to be culture-defying, primarily not because you, 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 know, you need to stand up against everything in our culture. Culture-defying primarily means that culture thinks a different way than you think. And the way in which God's going to bring dreams to you are going to align with His plan and His purpose and His way, not the world's way. That's how it's culture-defying. And it's going to be life-changing. I mean, it's real. again, it's not about you. It's going to change people's lives. These things are, it's not going to be about you and making your name great. It's going to be about making His name great and watching it change and have an impact on people's lives. So these are just characteristics of how to have these dreams in your life. Today, I want to talk specifically about dreaming again, these God-sized dreams for my church and for your church. And this is probably one of the more important messages I'll teach in terms of just uh, something I really hope would come across and you would get a hold of and you would begin to understand and appreciate and believe in, that there is something about God's dreams for your life that because you are the church of Christ, that he's possibly going to give you dreams that aren't just dreams for your life, but they're dreams for, that it will affect others, that will minister to others and minister through others and mobilize people and, 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 live, and live missionally with other people that those dreams will all come together. And I want to just illustrate this by an amazing story, great narrative of an example of this with the same guy we just talked about with Peter. So after Peter's, you know, Peter's one of the 12 and, and he's, he's preached Pentecost and the, the people are coming to Christ and he is one of the ones going around and ministering, serving. And God shows up in a dream to Peter that's going to change the church for Peter. Let me show you this. This is Acts chapter 10. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, but I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Um, just to drop you into the, again to the, to the scene, uh, Peter is ministering. He's at someone else's home. They're making a dinner for him. And it goes on to say that Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. And it was about noon, and he was hungry. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So a couple of versions say he fell asleep. He, he began to dream. He said he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in this sheet and on the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. It says, then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. I love Peter's response. No, Lord. Right? You like that? 
I don't know what kind of lucid dreams he's having, but apparently he can respond, you know, in this moment. Uh, no, no, Lord, he declared. I've never eaten anything that, that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. I don't know what was on here. I know bacon was on here. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, I know, I know a few of the laws in terms of what they weren't allowed to do, and there was some bacon on this tray. And he said, no, Lord, it's impure, it's unclean according to our tradition, according to our law. And the voice spoke again and said, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And the vision was repeated three times. Not once, not twice, not... It was repeated thrice. You with me? And why do you think it was repeated three times? Just give me an answer. Shout it out. Why do you think it was repeated three times? What? Emphasis. Emphasis to make it important. What's that? Because Peter won't listen. Yeah, I'm with Matt. I, I personally believe that every time it was repeated, he kept going... Uh, no, right? I think he kept on responding with like, I don't understand. Like, no, I'm not going to do the things that, you know, it's against the laws, against what Jewish, I've been raised my whole life. And so three times it's repeated. And then it goes on to say that it was suddenly, the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. And then Peter, I love this part. Let me go to the next verse. It says, Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Now, I'm going to skip a few verses as, as I give you the narrative, but three, three guys uh, knock on the door of this house, and they ask for Peter, and Peter kind of overhears this, and, and following the dream, he feels like the Lord tells him, hey, Peter, you are, you're gonna, there's some guys here for you. You're going to go with them and do that without hesitation. Like, don't even think about it, because obviously he was stuck thinking about something. And he says, no, don't, without hesitation, I want you to go. Go with these men. So Peter went. And when Peter gets to this home, he realizes, as he's been told, this is an Italian uh, Roman officer, okay, that he's getting ready to go into his home. And we, we read everything in Scripture through hindsight, and we're on this side of it, so we don't always get it. But I want you to notice that Peter is getting ready to just massively insult this Roman officer, okay? Like, insult him big time, like bigotry and racism. I don't know. It's a lot of things in here, okay, in terms of what he's getting ready to say to him. So Peter's still trying to get it, okay? And again, we see it all in hindsight, but here's what happened. He, he goes in, he, they go up to the door, and Peter tells Cornelius, he says, you know it's against the law for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Read between the lines. You are impure and unclean, right? So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. This is why he tells Cornelius, why did you send for me? And he goes on, to, you'll see this. Cornelius replied, hey, four days ago I was praying in my house about the same time, basically in referring, about the same time you were. He says, three o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. And Cornelius said, he says, I, he told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. So then he says, now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the shore, 555-223 Any Street. You know, with me, like he's, he's getting lots of detail in this dream. So I sent for you at once. And it was good for you to come. Notice how he rises above the insults. Isn't that good of Cornelius? He rises above the insults. No, it was good of you to come. I understand everything you just said. Now that we're all here waiting before God to hear the message that the Lord has given you. 
And he goes on that Peter said, I can very clearly, or I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel. He's still a little stuck, but here we go. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. Now, he goes on to teach the gospel. He goes on to share about Christ and who he was and what he did and what he did on their behalf and how he redeemed and what he's doing. He's sharing the gospel message and story with Cornelius. And it says here, a little bit later on, after he's sharing the story, he says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were hearing or listening to the message. And how'd they know that? Well, the Jewish people who were with him, the Jewish believers who were with Peter, they were amazed to see the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. How'd they know that? Well, they heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. This is the same thing they experienced at Pentecost. And, and then Peter says, can anyone object to their being baptized now that, we, now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? doesn't say it, but obviously the answer was no. And then he goes on to say, he gave the orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and afterward Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. This is a beautiful picture that, that highlights two things. The primary one is that this is a dream that was given to Peter that was going to change his church. It, it, was gonna, it was a dream for his church. Now, the gospel didn't change. The message didn't change. The mission that Jesus gave the disciples didn't change, but it expanded it in Peter's mind. He had to get a different perspective. He had to understand it more clearly. And so for him, it changed his church. This was a dream for him, for the church. And the other thing that I love about this, this, uh, this story is it helps us understand, a, a, I think, a pretty big principle, that God is always at work. This is a God-sized dream. I want you to see this, that God is always at work on the other side of your God-sized dream. He's always at work on the other side. And, and sometimes you won't notice this. And again, we read the narrative and we see it's revealed to Peter pretty quickly that you know, he was having a dream, but God was also giving Cornelius a dream and that they were going to come together pretty quickly and resolve all this. It doesn't always happen that way, but this is a principle that we need to understand that if it's from God, if it's a dream for us, even if it's a dream for our church and for my church, that God is already at work on the other side of our dream. He's already at work. I don't know when you'll see it and if you'll see it, and if it takes time to see it, I don't know the answer for you. I can tell you that Journey Church was planted out of a dream of some men's hearts uh, that wanted to see this church exist. They believe God gave them that dream, and they planted this church. I'm here as a result of a dream that I believe God put on my life to come to Huntersville to plant a church with some friends that didn't plant, that didn't launch. All right, it didn't happen. And seven years later... The beginning of that dream actually starts to happen, and I'm not even smart enough to recognize it until probably nine years later, right? Don't laugh at me. I know you're just as dumb as me sometimes. Sometimes we don't even see the connection until well after it's done. But God is always at work on the other side of your God-sized dream. And what I love about Journey Church, what I love about this church is that the res what you experience, what you enjoy, some of the things that you've experienced at our church, I just wrote down a few examples of just over the past couple years. Some of the things you've experienced is because of partners who have had God-sized dreams for the church. Here's a few examples. B3, Gathering, Financial Peace University, ASP, Sons and Daughters, Recovering Hope, Care Pack, 
bags of hope, room in the inn, building hope and hope, I keep calling them hope builders, but building hope is what they're called. Now, you may not recognize all of these. These may not all be things that you rub shoulders with at the church yet, but I'm telling you, these are all things, and some of these are ministries, and some of these are standalone things, and some of these are things we support uh, financially, and some of these things are we just support with people. But I'm telling you, this is a list of things connected to Journey that have been, that have been brought into Journey because, not because of me, okay, not because of me, not because of other pastors on staff. It's brought because God gave you and God gave these partners this God-sized dream for their church. And they took the time to engage in it and explore it and work through it and take some risks in it. And there's so many over 16 years of this church that have come for seasons and some still exist and some get revamped into something new. But I'm telling you, the stuff we enjoy at this church isn't because me or any of the pastoral staff are that awesome. It's because we understand this principle that God's always at work on the other side of a dream. And that we believe, we believe the church, to be all that the church is called to be, it needs your dreams. It needs you to dream again. Matter of fact, I wrote this statement in first person so we could read it out loud together and actually begin to, to, uh, to accept this as something that we believe. Let's read this, this statement together. My church, read it out loud with me. My church cannot be all that God has called it to be without my dreams. One more time like we, we really believe it. All right, ready? All right. My church cannot be all that God has called it to be without my dreams. And this is one of those principles that, again, I believe is so very important that, that Journey Church, I don't ever want Journey Church to be an institution, a business that serves people, a.k.a. you. Journey Church always, always has been and always will be an expression, okay, an expression of collective followers of God who are aligned on mission and ministry to be able to pursue the dreams of God. That's who the church is. That's who the church is called to be. And it can't be, it simply can't be all that God has called it to be without you and without your willingness to dream and dream and dream and dream again. Say those two words, dream again. Dream again. again. Now, I know this is hard because sometimes now you get to the point of like, well, how does that happen? How do I, how do, how, I don't know if my dreams are for the church. I don't know if they're for me. I'm still working on having dreams. Well, let me walk you through just, I'm just going to give you some basic principles of how you can walk through an understanding of what God might be downloading to you. When you start praying and you start asking God, okay, give me God-sized dreams. And some of them might be for you, for your life, for you personally. Some might be something that mobilizes the church and ministers in and through the church and, and, and changes the mission and lines up with the mission of the church. I want to walk you through that by taking you to the story of a prophet named Habakkuk. Now, if you have a child anytime soon, don't name your kid Habakkuk. I think he got picked on quite a bit in school, you know. Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's time and context is not as important, even though I'm going to read some verses that sure does make it seem like it could honestly be written now. But it's not so important, the, the, the prophecy or the vision or the dreams given to Habakkuk that I want us to pay attention to. It's, it's what Habakkuk did. How did he respond in terms of processing the dream for God's people, processing the vision? 
All right, so here's, here's where I'm going to take you. At the very beginning, uh, Habakkuk kind of complains to God. This is what he says is his complaint, his concern. And he starts here. It's Habakkuk 1. He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. You do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. He says, must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Hashtag Facebook, right? The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so the justice has become perverted. But the Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look. And be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. And you'd think in the story it's going to get better, because here's God going, hey man, watch out. I'm doing something and you're going to be amazed. The problem is, the rest of chapter 1, God basically tells Habakkuk, it's going to get worse before it gets better. He tells him, just for, again, context of the day and time for Habakkuk, he goes, no, it's going to get worse. I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're going to sweep across this nation like a plague. And then, of course, Habakkuk brings his second complaint. Like, really? Right? Like, surely we're not all going to die. Like, surely we're not. I think the word he used, the example, was like, we're not all just fish in a barrel to be caught and killed. Surely you're not going to let your people suffer. When will this all, how long will this happen? How long will we have to suffer this? Because God's very clear. It's going to get worse before it gets better, even though he starts it by saying, I got something I'm going to do. It's going to be amazing. So in Habakkuk 2, it shows Habakkuk's response to receive the dream from God. He goes on to say, I will climb up to my watchtower. I will stand at my guard post. I'll be prepared. I'll be ready. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says. He's going to observe it and what's going on. I'm going to wait to see what the Lord says. And the Lord answered me with this, write the vision, write it down. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. And then he goes on to say, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, but it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And I actually love the message uh, paraphrase of verse 3. It says, If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. And then read this last line out loud with me. It will come right on time. It will come right on time. So here's the three principles. I'm just going to give them to you quickly um, that I really do believe helps us process the dreams that we start to ask God for that are going to change my church, that are going to, that are going to be for the church, that's going to mobilize people and minister to people and, and, and be this incredible mission. I, I really do believe there's some ways in which we can actively process these things. And, and it's really using the example of Habakkuk. So we're going to prepare to see it. We're going to write it down. And we're going to work and wait. Now, preparing to see it, I'll just be honest, that's, that's, that's fairly simple. We prepare to see something is that we're intentional about it. We're intentionally praying for it. We're preparing to see what God's going to do. It's easy for us, like Habakkuk, to see the problems, right? It's easy for us to see the issues. It's easiest for us to see what's wrong, but it's not always easy for us to be prepared to see how God wants to respond. we got to prepare to see how God wants to respond. How does God want to use you? How does God want to use God's people to respond? So we got to prepare 
to see what he's doing and to see what he's going to do. And then write it down. And the reason he said write it down, it's important to notice that for Habakkuk. I just think it's important, period. Not only psychologically does writing something down give permanence to something that God is processing through us. So there's an actual psychological part of that that says, you know, don't just think about it. Don't just, you know, give yourself a voice memo you'll never listen to again. Like when you write it down, it becomes, it becomes, a, it becomes something that takes up space. It becomes something that's permanent. And it psychologically tells us that this has value. But he also says write it down because, you know, you, you need to have it clearly written so that the one who reads it can run, meaning that the vision you might have might not be for you, right? It might not be for you. The vision you might have, I mean, listen, think about King David who had a vision to, to build the temple. And then God told him, he says, you're not going to be able to build the temple. You're not going to be able to build the temple. It's not going to be for you. Your son's going to do it. And, that's, and that really does take us to the third one, which I'm going to spend a little bit more time on because it's the one that I believe is the hardest, the hardest thing to process and work through, and it's the one that we in our current culture struggle with the most, and that's to work and wait, to work towards the dreams that God might have for us, but, but to wait so that the appointed time, so that the time in which it, it won't delay, it's not like it's not going to happen. If God's at work, it's, if it's his dream, he's going to fulfill it, but it might not be when we think it's supposed to happen. And to work and wait is the hardest thing in our, you know, on-demand, right-now, get it, I mean, just right-now culture. We don't want to wait. I'll, I'll just share, I'll confess to you, you know, I'm, I, 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 str- I struggle to watch commercials anymore, Right? I mean, anybody with me? Yeah. Right? I struggle. Why? I don't know. Like, I grew up with commercials, okay? 30-minute show, 17 minutes of actual content, right? Like, I, that's how I was raised. But I've moved so quickly into the current culture that I have a hard time. I'm, I'm watching Hulu and watching a show, and I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> and I'm too cheap to pay for the thing that the higher premium to get rid of the commercials, right? Y'all are with me. I know you are, right? <laughs> Guys, we just don't know what it is to wait. And we don't know, honestly, not just how to wait, but how to work and wait. And this is one of the reasons I think it was really important for for God to give this to Habakkuk. And I think it's a principle that we need to know, is that we are going to maybe work towards the dreams that God gives us, but we might have to wait to work and wait. And the problem is this. Again, my church cannot be all that God's called it to be without my dreams. I believe that's so true for every one of you. But when you don't know how to work and wait, when you don't know how to incrementally take steps and build relationships and, 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 and find the, wait for those opportunities to come, when you don't know how to do that, people, God might give you a dream and he might kind of envision something for your church and, well, the fact that it can't happen and it hasn't happened yet and you haven't seen any glimpses of it right now, you'll give up on it. You'll give up on it and you'll disengage. And you might pull yourself out of leadership and you might pull yourself out of serving opportunities. You might pull yourself away from groups and relationships because it's just not happening and you don't know why it hasn't happened yet. You know it's from God. You've had the same vision and and dreams for five years and it just doesn't seem to happen. So I'm pulling away. I'm going to do something else. This is one of the reasons that people leave churches and go plant churches. 
All right, that's, that's one of the reasons that people shop around and bop around because they, God might have told them this is what's supposed to look like. Here's what, here's what the church can look like. I'm going to give you a dream for your church. But nobody wants to spend the time working, doing the work towards it, and waiting for the opportunity that God has for it so that the church can be all that it's supposed to be. And so, we'll, now nah, we'll just leave. We'll go find, you know, we'll go find 15 others that think like we think and We'll go start a new thing, and we'll go start a new thing, and we'll go over to this church together, and we'll go, we'll go do this, try to live out some of this stuff that I spoke. God gave it to me. It's supposed to happen now, obviously. And guys, I'm just telling you that the, the problem is, is that it's a lot of, we have a lot of fragmented churches that can't be all that they're called to be because we, the people of God, don't know what it looks like to receive that from God, to receive a dream and believe that it's for your church, and then to work and to wait. And knowing that God's promise is true. He's working on the other side of that dream. Let me give you some examples. Somebody wrote in last week as one of the questions, what are some of the dreams that Journey has? And so, and I can't tell you what your dreams are for Journey. I don't know what they are. I don't even know if you've even prayed for God to give you any of those things, but I can give you a few of mine. Uh, I keep these things written down. I try to follow similar principles in terms of as I process dreams. I shared last week one that is to give away a million dollars, and that's, that's a personal dream that I have. As a church, I actually have that dream for the church, but I'd like to see that happen yearly. I'd like to see yearly our church being able to give away and reinvest through local and global uh, partnerships of a million dollars. We're not there yet, by the way, but that's a dream. Faith-filled, right? There's some ministry dreams that I really believe that we're continuing to work towards and waiting on. We want to see a revival of healthy marriages and parenting happen in our city and in our region, and we believe that's going to be done through workshops and conferences and social-based city, citywide services that might have to be offered through the church because it can't be offered and people aren't connecting to it through uh, other organizations, but to do it through here. We believe there's an opportunity to engage men and re-engage men and fathers to be spiritual leaders of their home and in their city. I don't actually know how we're going to do that, so it's still got a question mark beside it, but it's part of the dreams that I believe God's continued to give me. We have some missional things on here that we really do believe missionally. We're called to make a difference even outside of our church. And so we have some, uh, we, we really believe we can remission churches in the nation. Between six and 800 churches close every month. Six to 800 churches close every month. Church plants and existing older churches. And some of them probably need to close, but not all of them need to close. And we believe, we believe as a leadership team that Journey has the uh, DNA and the health and the leadership to be able to come alongside like a big brother to some of these churches in our nation and, and even starting in our city, come alongside them as a, as a big brother and help give them leadership and help give them systems and help pour into them through volunteers and needs to help see churches remission and relaunch and become the church and become all that God's called the church to be. We believe there's a, a part of us that wants to continue to own businesses because missionally we believe that's part of how we're going to fund and fuel our mission work. It's not a new concept. You know, centuries ago, there's been, there, there was a concept where church was always in the marketplace. They were always in the marketplace. They were never all by themselves. And we continue to believe that businesses, well, why would we own a business as a church? Well, why not? Like we own a, currently we have a, a, a real, t- real estate company. Well, why do you own a real estate company, Matt? Well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the simplest reason why we own a real estate company. Because we want to pay people fair wages. We want to make a difference in how we do business as a cr- Christian company. 
But the primary reason is because I believe the profits of a business shouldn't necessarily go to someone's fourth car or lake house when the profits of a company can go to Peru and Haiti and Hope Lake Norman. Everybody with me? That's, that's the easy answer. There's obviously more to it. But the part even the giving a million dollars away is tied to some of this heartbeat we have to missionally push ourselves with, with nonprofit and for-profit ventures. We have some physical stuff that we've, we've entertained over the past year or two years now, and we really do believe. We don't know when it's going to happen. We're working towards it and waiting. Last year, we engaged in a 110,000-square-foot building and started to reimagine what it would look like as, a, as an athletic, uh, uh, as athletic uh, um, uh, facilities and community facilities and, real est- and uh, retail space and wholesale space and, uh, and co-oping working space. I, saw, I have a picture of one with a Chick-fil-A, you know? I'm seriously, I really do. And that vision, that vision for this kind of journey town center continues to be something that I believe God gives us, and we're going to continue to work towards and wait. You know, and I, I don't, I'll be honest, like I don't, I don't know anything about how to do these things. A lot of, things, a lot of this has a vision gap, meaning that there's a, there's a, there, we, we, we finance and everything through, our, we, we budget for the finances for our mission and ministry that we currently have. But as we dream and work towards these things, there's a gap. So if you just look at the ministry gap, there's about a million, $1.1 million is the ministry gap that we feel like we have. And then we have, you put in our mission work and the, some of the things we want to do, that's a little over $2 million of a ministry gap, of a, of a vision gap. And then if you put in some of the physical space, some of the things that we've, big dreams we've had, there's about a $17 million gap between what we currently do and what's in our vision and in our dreams. But let me tell you why we have it. We have it because we want to prepare to see how God might respond, right? See how God might respond to some of the things that we already see. And if somebody were to come to me and say, I have a million dollars, what would you do with it? We have an answer, right? The guy from Simpsonville wants to come and tithe. We have an answer to that money, right? We have an answer to how we want to invest things towards the visions that God has given us. And it's so cool to see when God connects people, when God puts, puts things together, I'll tell you this morning in between services, after the first service, I shared some of, these, uh, some of this vision list with the church, first service, and they showed up to me in the space and they said, you won't believe this. I said, yes, I will, right? But God had given her a dream about six months ago that she felt alone in, that she felt it was overwhelming how big it was, and it was something that she felt that she owns a marketing company, and she feels like it's something she was supposed to work on, and, and, and she wasn't sure how to do it. And then she heard me state her dream this morning. And she came and she said, I don't, I don't know how this happened, but the dream that God gave me is identical to the dream that God gave you. And it's so cool to see God work on the other side of our dreams. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know, I don't know what will happen from that. But it's just a way to encourage one another as we are faithful to step towards those dreams. To, to, to not only prepare to see it and write it down, but to work and wait simultaneously. I, want, I love this quote. I'll give you this quote for, this is in my office and I, I use it quite often. It's from Erwin McManus, or I think it's from him. It's the last person I've heard state it was this, is that when our, when our memories exceed our dreams the end is near. I've heard other people say it, but he's the one I heard say it. 
When our memories exceed our dreams, the end is near. And I'll, I'll be honest, I love this church. I, I, I can't tell you how much I love this church, how committed I am to this church, how, how planted I am to seeing this church become all that God has called it to be. And I have amazing memories here. I, I mean, I wish I could just sit with you sometimes and tell you all the wonderful, wonderful memories of this church. But they are nothing compared to the dreams we have for Journey. They are nothing compared to the dreams we believe God has given us and that God has given you. Now, I can't solve everything. I don't know how to fix all the things that God's given you and make things happen. That's, I mean, that's part of my job, but I don't know how to do all that alone, which is why we need you to dream again. We need you to continue to dream and dream and dream and dream again, not just for your life, but for your church. So the journey, the bride of Christ, this local expression can be everything God's called it to be and how we can work and wait to see what God's going to do. I want to read as we close this prayer that Paul gave to the church in Ephesus as he began this letter and as he began writing them this kind of prayer, this kind of written prayer, if you will, that I, want to, that I share and I want to share with you, I feel is, is, is part of my heart. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay? That again, this is this is preparing to see, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you would know the hope, dreams, you would know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That's my prayer. As you pray those prayers to dream again for your church. Let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful for today. We, we bring this. I, I just don't even know how to add on to that prayer. But God, I, as, as my heart aligns with Paul's heart in the prayer for this church and the prayer for these people to give us wisdom and revelation, to let the eyes of our heart be opened, God, I pray that you would instill in us a perseverance, not just the inspiration of being able to dream big dreams for our church. That's, that's part of it. We need that. But would you give us the perseverance to work towards those dreams and to be patiently waiting for you to make them come alive? God, that's just not something we do easily. It's so easier for us to start something new, to find another church, to, to, to just find the, the, to find the people that think like we think and do what we do and to get comfortable. God, my prayer is that you, through the people that are here, would help Journey become all that you've called her to be through the dreams that you give them. And that, God, we would have the, the patience to work towards them and to never give up hope that they will come at the right time. 
God, we pray all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.